Norse mythology is rich with powerful characters. Odin, supreme deity, ruler of Asgard. Mighty Thor, god of thunder and protector of humanity. Loki, the lord of mischief. Freya, the goddess of love and beauty. And then there's the newest member of the pantheon, Erling, god of goals, lord of hat-tricks, blessed with strength, speed and flowing blonde locks. The legends tell of defenders and goalkeepers who would wail in terror at his approach, of nets that would bulge, of numbers that would simply defy belief. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. Gods on the pitch to Gods off it, my top tipping team. Delighted to say that Lord of Ratings, Mark O'Hare, is with us. Uh, Erling Haaland, Mark, uh, nine goals already, a couple of hat-tricks. He's OK, isn't he? <laughs> it's, it's outrageous, really. Um, I think we're looking at some records being broken this season. Um, you don't want to say the title race is over and the golden boot race is done, but it's it's looking pretty ominous. Way. It is, um, particularly the golden boot. And, you know, coming into the start of the season, uh, no player had won the award uh, under Pep Guardiola in the Premier League and, and no player from foreign leagues had joined the Premier League and won the award in his first season. But, um, yeah, it looks like both of those will be chipped off this time around. And, and you know, I guess I didn't back Haaland to, to be top goal scorer this season. I went with Salah and I'm already sort of regretting that decision. It looked a little bit too obvious, really, just to assume that he's going to slot into that team and, and score millions of goals. But that's exactly what he's doing. And, you know, we talked about it probably at the start of last season with Man City. Is there potentially a weakness? Is there a vulnerability about this team? Or potentially one of those is not having a, a central striker that's capable of scoring all the opportunities that they create. And, you know, we're only three, four, five games into the season. And quickly that myth has been kind of dispelled by the influ influence of Haaland. He's just been... um. Yeah, absolutely ter terrorising defences and um, it's hard to see how he's going to sort of drop off from these standards either. So, um, yeah, City going very well and uh, the, sort of the final piece of the puzzle seems to be in place. And he can hurt you in so many ways, can't he, Mark? Because he can run in behind, he can get those goals that goal poachers get, he can smash the ball in from 25 yards. That goal he scored to seal the hat-trick against Palace was extraordinary. I mean, to bounce off a defender in the way that he did and find that spot just inside the far post, it's very, very difficult to defend a guy like that. Yeah, it's, um, I guess the the one sort of weakness people have talked about previously is, is his heading ability or his aerial ability for a guy of his size and stature, but oh, I sort of disagree with that. But you're right, there's there's so many different ways in which he can hurt you. The goal that actually interested me really is is always with these kind of strikers in the box and having the ball just kind of fall to their feet and having just to, to side foot the ball in from, from five yards out. Like to have that sort of understanding and, and know-how where to be and at what particular moment to pick up those pieces. You know, the debate is always if you're in the Man City team for 38 games, games and played 90 minutes every week how many goals would you score and you know people say I might score five might score ten I'm not even sure I'd score one personally because I don't have that knowledge that understanding of where to be in the area at the right time but someone like Harlan seems to be and uh that's why he's going to score backfuls of goals but you're right you know even if you defend high um he can run in behind um he can bounce players off he's He's just the full package, really. And I'm delighted for him because there's so much sort of negativity about players moving from the Bundesliga. There's Bundesliga tax, which is so often talked about, but he's kind of just uh, just ruining those kind of um, 
mantras already and uh, you know, good luck to him. I imagine he's going to score at least 30 this season, possibly 40. As we record this, it's not yet the transfer deadline. So Pep, you still have time. Marco Hare's available. He's a free agent. You can swoop in, maybe play him in the League Cup. Who knows? Uh, the God of XG, Jay Colscothorpe, has descended from Mountain for gold to give us his wisdom. Uh, Jake, City and Haaland take on Aston Villa this Saturday. The way Villa are defending, you'd have to fear for Steven Gerrard's team, wouldn't you? Oh, 100%, yeah. And um, just to touch on what you guys are saying about Haaland a little bit, he's a devil, isn't he, to Premier League defenders. And I guess it's kind of ironic that his current XG based on Infogol is 6.66. So he's (laughs) keeping with the theme. Yeah, he's he's playing at a frightening level at the minute. And I think we kind of expected this to be a, a match made in heaven just purely because of the amount of chances that Manchester City create inside the six six yard box around the six yard box you know getting to the byline cutting back they just needed someone who had that as mark said that awareness of uh, of knowing where to be to be in the right scoring position and so far the signs are ominous really for everybody else because um he's averaging 1.5 expected goals per 95 minutes in the premier league which is just an obscene figure uh, i know we're at the uh, the early stage still of the season but that kind of number is just something that we've not seen before um, when it comes to He's going to break the XG strikers. robots, isn't he, Jake? He You're probably is, wires yeah. wires burning everywhere because of what he's doing. He probably is. He's probably going to just tear them apart. They're not going to be able to keep up with him. And um, I guess the, the key thing, really, when you're looking at, um, at Haaland, obviously he's getting on the end of chances, but he's playing in a team that are creating loads of chances as well. Like City are averaging 2.75 expected goals for per game. So if you do that as a rough percentage... Um, Haaland is basically so far this season been on the end of 55% of Manchester City's per game expected goals. So if you think that City are going to rack up to 2.5 XG against Villa at the weekend, there's a high chance that Haaland's going to be on the end of around 1.1 to 1.5 worth of XG, um, which you know could equate to two, three, four big chances, which is what he's been getting on the end of. Um, so yeah, I, I think Haaland to score two plus is a real runner this weekend. Again, 11 to four on Betfair. Um, but you know the other big cap, big major sort of reason for that is Aston Villa's defence, which you touched on, which has been um, an absolute train wreck so far this season. They've only had one one game where they've actually looked fairly solid defensively. That was against West Ham. They're obviously beaten by a long range strike, but they look they look in big trouble. Um, Steven Gerrard could well be in big trouble as well because performances have been poor. Shipped an average of one point eight expected goals against per game. I guess the the more the major issue is their attacking issue, attacking process, which is at 0.96 expected goals for per game. The only match this season they've actually created more than one expected goal was against Everton. I think we we all believe that Everton are one of the worst defenses in the league as well. So, um, yeah, major reasons for concern. Happy to, to keep riding that Harlan train. I, I think you know if you're wanting a safer-ish play, um, you go into the bet builder market. You can get a City win, Haaland to score, and over one and a half goals in the game at around even money, which I think just looks um, like a real, uh, should have a really good chance of, of coming in because I can't see anything other than a very comfortable City win. Yeah, looks a tremendous bet, to be honest. The Lord of Trading, Emmett O'Keefe, is with us once again. Emmett, Stephen Gerrard admitted he's under pressure, admitted he's concerned for his job. And for all the reasons Jake's just outlined, he probably should be concerned, shouldn't he? 
Absolutely, yeah. It's kind of like the if anyone's playing kind of a drinking game with the podcast called "The Tip Against Villas" is is has 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 been a consistent theme all season. I think it's, it's one of these things. I, I'd watched Villa only highlights of it this season. But I watched the full game against Arsenal last night. That's only when you actually watch them the full game you realise how bad Villa actually are. Like they have, like they they were trying for Jared in the sense that they were making terrible tackles in Arsenal players, but that was that was that was about it. They had no idea how to attack. Like they're they're like they're point zero three one xg against Arsenal last night was the lowest any 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 teams had against Arsenal and only really poor finishing from Arsenal stopped that game from being an absolute hammering and the only I the, the like Man City minus one this weekend is eve is is eleven to ten. I think that is an absolute gift. My only slight hesitation is that there's been a bit of speculation that Erling Haaland might be rested. And so is it just if, if just the way City have been playing, it's it's more Haaland-centric. And I'd say if Julian Alvarez is playing as the nine, I wouldn't be quite as... I, I, I wouldn't be nearly as confident. He but did Haaland, look tremendous against Palace, though, Alvarez. He did, he did, he did. As, to be honest, as in, as in whoever plays up front for City, I expect them to win four or five nil. I think, I think the... Even the, Marco Hare. <laughs> Even Marco Hurry, it's, it's a funny thing. You, you find out how uh, how overconfident your friends are when you start having those kind of drinking game conversations. <laughs> lads, lads saying lads saying they're going to hit double figures, like. Um, but the uh, but on I, 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 I like I, I expect Villa Park to be mutinous the weekend. If if, if Skitty, City score first, which they likely will, I don't think Villa will be able to get, get out of their own half. And all I can see is, yeah, a really comfortable three or three or four nil city city win. And if you look at the odds, the odds are still, I think, on Villa are based on their preseason projections. A little bit of them being kind of a solid mid-table team, where the reality is this team is playing like a like a like a team that's that that's kind of that's heading heading towards relegation. And I think I think uh, yeah, city city minus one will be my most confident better this week. Emmett's uh, expected drinking games figure is pretty high for the show so far. He's mentioned drinking games twice in his opening answer of the show. We have a special exchange offer on Aston Villa against Manchester City. If you back the over two and a half goals market and it doesn't land, you get your money back as a free bet. Maximum stake is £10. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus cgambleaware.org. The Merseyside derby is always a massive match, but with Liverpool playing catch-up in the title race, it's imperative that they win away at an Everton, Everton side that still seeks its first league win of the season. Jake, Liverpool are 1.44 here to take the win. It's a really tricky one, this, because Liverpool have huffed and puffed in a few games, obviously not against Bournemouth, but Bournemouth have been pretty terrible so far. So I don't know how much we really learn from that. Yes, they got that dramatic win over Newcastle, but Mo Salah doesn't quite look as sharp as he usually would, maybe. I'm very loath to oppose a team of Liverpool's quality, but is there any scope at all to give Everton maybe a goal and a half start on the Asian handicap or something like that? Or is this going to just be a battering? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. I'm I'm not fully trusting Liverpool to win comfortably and cover a handicap, but by the same token, I can't trust Everton either. <laughs> this is a, a Frank Lampard-led Everton team who they've shown spurts of life. Here we go. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm, I'm waving not gonna... <laughs> the "have a go at Frank Lampard" flag. You just teed me up there, Jim. weren't you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I'm not going to go barreling too hard because they've actually shown us some decent signs of life in the last couple of weeks, um, particularly in attack, because over the 
five games so far this season against a small sample. But they've averaged 1.4 expected goals for per game, which is considerably is considerably up on last season's performance of 1.08 under Lampard. So we're seeing them create more chances, which perhaps may be seen as counterintuitive given that they don't have any out-and-out striker. They're missing the best, arguably the best player, Richarlison, who was sold. Calvert-Lewin still out, but that fluid front three seems to be creating chances um, in fits and spurts. And it's been it's been enough to get them points. You know, they're not still looking for that first win. But, you know, on the flip side of that, defensively, they're still looking a real mess, um, allowing 1.85 expected goals against per game, which is still one of the highest in the Premier League. So, um, yeah, I, I was kind of struggling with the bet for this one. But as soon as you start looking at Liverpool's record defensively in the way in which they've started games this season, then... Uh, for me, both teams to score was just um, a standout bet around 1.92. My, my main concern with that bet originally was Everton's attack, but the way in which they have started to create better chances on a more consistent rate suggests that they should be able to get at least one against Liverpool. I still think Liverpool will win the game, um, but I think both teams to score at 1.92 on the exchange is a real runner. They've had no issues creating chances Liverpool. I know Newcastle frustrated them for long parts. Um, I thought, I mean, the result in the end, a 2-1 win, was a fully deserved one for for Liverpool based on the XG, based on the fact that Newcastle just time-wasted for the entire game. Like, you know, I mean, Andre Mariner, the referee, did such a good job, didn't he, by adding extra minutes on. You see it in Europe all the time. I I was watching, um, I think it was a Serie A game last night. And, you know, the, the, the initial board went up, it was six minutes and then there was loads of time waiting. So they just kept adding a minute on and then another minute. And another, before you know it, there's plus nine on the, top of the scoreboard. I was like, this is great. Just keep playing. Um, and, you know, like Liverpool will go to the end and that they ultimately got, got what they deserved. I think the, the interesting, another interesting angle I, I quite like the look of relates to Darwin Nunes, who is fit and is available now after his suspension for this game. And, you know, he's, uh, if he can keep his head this week you know, in a <laughs> mid-side other defenders derby. around can keep theirs once he's been involved as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, he, if he gets the nod and if he comes into the into starting <laughs> 11, which... I, <laughs> was that deliberate, Jake? Gets it, the it really wasn't. That really okay. wasn't deliberate. I apologise for everyone. He's a comedy uh, genius and he doesn't even know. <laughs> yeah, uh, if he gets a start, which I think he probably... I, I, want, I want to see him start because I think he's a, such an influential player already. I've only seen 106 minutes of Premier League action. But um, what we have seen when he has played is, even if he's come off the bench, he's, he's been on the end of chances. I mean, he's racked up 2.3 expected goals in 106 minutes of Premier League football. So the ball literally just, similar to Haaland, obviously not quite at that level just yet, in my opinion, but he seems to be able to find those goal-scoring positions really, really easily. So if he is a player that starts, I would be definitely looking at him to score any time at even money. I think that he will um, be an absolute nuisance for, for the Everton defence. If you wanted a slightly bigger bet, you know, you've seen in that game against Crystal Palace, he's a very he's an absolute hothead. Uh, and this is a Merseyside derby after all. So a goal and a, and a card for Nunes, um, you're probably looking around seven, eight to one on that one. Could be an interesting run as well, a slightly bigger price. But yeah, Liverpool to win. Uh, but I do think both teams to score is, is the best play in this occasion. Now that is the beauty of the bet, bet builder. You can suddenly find that that price is getting bigger and bigger with things that are perfectly reasonable to happen in a game. You could see Nunez scoring. You could see him getting a card as well. To West London and a clash between two sides who've made a decent start to the campaign. Brentford have had plenty of positive and negative late drama in their matches. They face a lead side that's only lost once. Seems to be enjoying Marsh ball at the moment. Uh, Mark, how do you see this one going? Yeah, looking forward to it. I think it's got the potential to be a really watchable affair. Um, I think goals will be on the menu. So, 
you go onto the exchange, you can get over two and a half goals at 1.8. Uh, more than happy to take that price. Um, as you say, Brentford have been quite fun to follow this season. Thomas Frank has talked about being pretty satisfied of his team's work in the final third. They're creating plenty of chances, causing teams loads of problems. The issue has been conversion at times. We saw them cough up like a catalogue of chances against Everton last weekend. They were pretty wasteful against Palace as well midweek. But in Frank's mind, they're creating these opportunities, and that's the big plus, he believes. Over the long term, uh, he's got the quality in forward areas to, to make those chances pay. And I agree to a certain degree. And um, I expect them to cause Leeds problems. Frank um, has also talked about their soft centre, though, and trying to ensure that they're not quite as uh, fragile defensively. And I think that's fair enough. Uh, their only clean sheet has come against Man United in that, in that home romp. So, yeah, I know Leeds will be out without Rodrigo, but uh, Bamford's return to fitness was quite timely in midweek. So um, I don't suspect there's any issues in terms of Leeds going forward. Uh, and interestingly, too, if you look at the non-penalty expected goals rankings so far in the Premier League through five games, Brentford are ranked fourth sorry, fifth in terms of what they're producing. Leeds are actually ranked fourth, which is quite surprising, really. Um, so both teams are creating plenty of opportunities in the final third. It's just down to sort of converting those chances. Leeds have recorded just the one clean sheet themselves, uh, allowed Everton um, a few decent opportunities midweek, which Jake touched upon. Um, but I think they've got enough punch themselves to to cause Brentford uh, an issue. They've scored in four or five games. Brentford have scored in five or five games. Last season's meetings between the two teams were quite fun, 2-2 two, two and 2-1. Two, and that's along the same lines as my expectations for this match, really. So um, so Brentford finished in the bottom eight. Uh, Leeds were in the bottom seven last season. 11 of Brentford's 14 against the bottom seven went overs. 10 of Leeds' 14 against the bottom eight went overs as well. So uh, there is precedence here. And I just think the line is probably slightly too short. I'd make the line for about two and three quarters. And therefore, there's opportunity to get overs on side at 1.8. Chelsea were bullied on the South Coast in midweek as they lost at Southampton. It feels like it's becoming one of Thomas Tuchel's biggest challenges as a manager to really get this Chelsea team moving once again. They face a London derby against a West Ham team that did look really good in the second half. A home to Tottenham could easily have gone on and won that game. Emmett, Chelsea aren't clicking yet, even though they've spent really heavily in the market and have actually, I think, bought some really good players. I mean, mm. Sterling scoring, Koulibaly, I know, has not made the best of starts, but he is anybody who's seen him in Serie A down the years knows he's a quality defender. I like Fofana very much. I think Kukure is a good player. So I know they've spent a ton of money, but they have brought in good players. So now it's down to Tuchel to get the whole thing to gel. I, I, yeah, I, I, I kind of disagree a little bit in the sense that like they probably have brought in good players, but it's just like allocation of resources. If you're spending that much money and yet you're not, you're and, and then but like if you're spending that much money and strikers, you're kind of your last priority just doesn't really make sense. They're they're trying like they're on the verge of signing Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, and like I think the things that annoyed Mikel Arteta about about Aubameyang will annoy Thomas Tuchel potentially even more. But it, they it, have it, worked together I, I know, successfully, I, I, though, I, I, haven't they? I know, but that was when uh, Aubameyang was uh, from ages twenty five to twenty eight. Aubameyang's thirty three now. He's not going to lead the press anymore. He's not the same player or person, probably most likely as Tuchel had there. So I, I don't see him being as as amenable. And we we will see. But I. I, 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 if I if 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 I was in charge of their transfer resources, I'd be looking at striker first. Because I, I think I think I I, I, I really wouldn't tr- trust Kai Havertz to score even ten plus league goals. I think that I think like even this weekend they're looking to play probably Hakim Hakim Ziyech, who I think probably Tuchel doesn't really want. I just I I, I don't think they're 
the, the players at Tuchel's disposal in attack are, are, are as good as they need to be if, if you compare them with the other top four clubs like Tottenham, Richardson, Kulisevsky, Kane, Son. I don't think Chelsea are any, anywhere near that. Arsenal, like the even like Arsenal, Mart, Martinelli, Saka, um, Jesus, even the players of the bench, Smith Rowe, Vieira. Like, I, 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 I think Chelsea, and that's not even to mention. Uh, City and Liverpool are obviously streets ahead so I just think Chelsea's attack isn't good enough to really to put them in the best position to compete for top four and is there I a worry of... in central midfield as well Emmett because absolutely yeah. had injury problems Conte seems to be injured a lot that seems to be a real and Conor Gallagher bless him every time he plays is so desperate to impress yeah I mean that that red card the other day was just insane because he would never normally do that yeah, I, I think they. I think they're kind of. They, they, they're, they're, the way they've act, they're acting like Ingolo Kante is twenty eight when he's not. I think they like having kind of a foil or kind of a, a, a having a player who could back him up, or Kante could maybe play play less games this season, and then you get more out of him when he plays, like we've seen with kind of Rodri and Fernandinho for City, and in, in, in the last few years, I think that would have been the ideal scenario for for Chelsea. But not, that's not the case, and, and when Kante doesn't doesn't play, they don't have an obvious replacement. Uh, on on Gallagher as well, I, I think it's I think he's very interesting that like I thought he was one of the nearly the best midfielders in the Premier League last season. But he was in a very kind of specific role, playing as kind of a breaker from midfield, where he wasn't doing any of the kind of real deep line playmaking stuff, which I think Tuchel is looking for from, and he just looks a bit like he's kind of struggling with with that role. So just for all the reasons we kind of outlined, there's a lot of question marks around Chelsea, and. As 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 I mentioned, they've only scored three goals at home in, in a Premier League match once since Christmas. So I think no, no matter as in no matter what happens at, at the weekend, I can't see them blowing West Ham away. And in the last couple of games, we, we've seen West Ham get back to a team which I expect to finish probably eighth or ninth this season. I like they're 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 a very solid mid mid table team under under David Moyes. And I just thought I think Chelsea are too short here. But the way I'd like to probably oppose them. Like I think, I think the goal line is is, is probably is, is a bit short here, but over two point five goals at around eight to eleven. But I I kind of a bigger price. The draw here is four point seven, which just looks too big to me in a kind of a in in, in a close game with Chelsea struggling. I, I, so I, I like kind of West Ham double chance, but if you want to take a big take a bigger price on it, I think the draw is a huge runner at four point seven or four point eight. I think it should be closer to probably four point zero. Mark, the Premier League is so silly. Um, it's just rightly outlined the fact that West Ham will, you know, probably finish eighth, ninth, maybe seventh, something like that. They signed Lucas Paquetá, who's a brilliant attacking midfielder um, when he's not getting in a muddle with Emerson about clear chances, uh, if you saw that the other night. But uh, a brilliant player. And, yeah, and West Ham are, are a good club on the rise in Europe, all of that stuff. But the, the sheer depth of quality in the Premier League is just absurd these days, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's it's all down to budgets, isn't it? And I think uh, yeah. it was tweeted this morning that the net spend of the Premier League is is you know if you see the figure compared to the rest of Europe combined, it's it's pretty scary, really. And it's the future of European football is is under question, really, because of the dominance of the Premier League and the money and power available to them, as displayed by West Ham's ability to go and sign Lucas Paquetar, who wonderful player, um, will make a difference. But I'm not sure it's where where West Ham needed to strengthen right now. Um, for me, they've got a lot of kind of game changers or, or inventive players in the final third, which he will fall into. I know we can do a little bit more than that, but um, I'm not sure it's what they needed right now. And 
certainly if you look at their defence that played Aston Villa last weekend, they started with a back three um, of Cairo, Cresswell and Zuma, two of which I would class as fullbacks. Uh, you had Johnson, who was then injured, so Soufal came on and, yeah, they switched to a back four and it was all fine. But the other one available to them is Emerson Palmieri. Um, just just not up to it really for me. Uh, Dawson could come back into the, the squad this weekend after injury, but he's not he getting any younger. He looks going, Mark, at this <laughs> stage. I mean, there was talk. I mean, obviously this is tricky because as we're recording, the transfer deadline day is going on and all of that stuff. But the feeling was that he might go to Wolves because he wants to go to the Midlands. So if they lose him, they look ever yeah. so thin in that area. Yeah, and, and that's what I mean. Like, why are you allocating resources to an area where you've, you've got a, a glut of options, really, to uh, compared to with defence, where it just feels a little bit muddled right now? I know they've got a couple of injuries there still, too. So defensively, they are vulnerable, and, and that would worry me. Um, but I, I, I agree with most of what Emmett said, actually, in fairness. Um, I think Chelsea are fragile themselves. Thomas Tuchel's been... You know, he's not been shy in criticising his team in the last few weeks, really, given them the hairdryer treatment after the Leeds and Southampton defeats, criticised their soft defending, said they need to toughen up and show a different mentality. But you, you guys are right, you know, midfield is, is a big issue right now. Uh, and so is defence. You know, Tiago Silva isn't getting any younger for quick turnarounds. Kula Bali is still settling. Um, Rhys James was ill. He should come back. Gallagher should come back. But Kovacic isn't 100%. Loftus-Cheek is now injured. Kante's still out. So... Yeah, it's a bit of a mishmash of a, of a Chelsea squad and, and Fafana hasn't played for a few weeks either. So, um, yeah, Stamford Bridge isn't the most intimidating prospect this time uh, for, for quite some time, actually. And, you know, Emma's right. They, they've struggled to score fluently at Stamford Bridge for quite a long time now, too. So I think this game could be a lot more competitive than what the market suggests. The way I would play it is go to the exchange about both teams to score at 1.93. Um, Chelsea have kept two clean sheets at home to top half teams since the start of last season. Their only clean sheet this season came against Everton on match day one, who basically had no strikers or forwards available to them. Um, I know West Ham have been below par, but I, as you say, I think they found their range a little bit in that second half against Spurs. Uh, I do think they've got the options and the ability up front to, to hurt a Chelsea team who, at the minute, are, are looking a little bit sort of directionless in terms of who they've got playing in defence and midfield. Jake, I remember many moons ago when Thomas Tuchel first took over and he was getting 1-0 wins, it seemed, left, right and centre. And obviously they went on to win the Champions League in his first season there. And you marvelled at how solid they were and how the expected goals data was telling you that. But it's changed significantly, hasn't it? And they've, they've signed some top-class defenders, there's no doubt about that. But the structure of the team just doesn't look right at the moment, does it? No, they don't look right at all. Um, you know, seven points from an opening five games is not very good for a, a team of Chelsea's calibre that are looking at challenging for titles. Uh, and I think, as you said, they, they just, as a team, they don't look as we expect. And, and I think met part of that is down to um, the turnover in players because, you know, from last season to this season, they've lost two of their, well, probably two of their starting three centre-halves in Christensen and Rudiger. Um you know, injuries have really hurt them. Lukaku's moved on. Werner's moved on. And I, I just think Tuchel's trying to tinker with his system as well. You know, he's, he's, he's switching from a... He's pretty much tried and tested back three, um, a 3-4-3 three, three style formation to more of a fluid 3-4-3 three, three, slash 4-3-3 three, three that sort of lost his cheek, moves in and out and in and out. And I, I think that might be confusing things a little bit. I think... They start. They tried to play a back four at Southampton in midweek, didn't really work. Um, so yeah, I think it's back to the drawing board really in terms of Chelsea and 
you know, he's a great coach too, should he'll figure it out. But, you know, the tinkering that he's doing is hurting them at the moment. Um, and in, you're right. I, I agree with you. I think the transfers that they've done, the players they've brought in are positive. I think they strengthen the squad. They strengthen the starting eleven. But they are still missing a couple of key key cogs, um, most notably in, in creating chances. So the, the, the main thing I've noticed uh, looking at the data is that their attacking process has taken a little bit of a dip from last season. So as well as the defensive data not really improving, their defensive, their attacking stuff uh, is just, it's on the decline. So they've averaged 1.4 non-penalty expected goals per game through five games. That's 16% down on last season, which was at 1.66. Now that might, may not sound a lot, but over the course of a campaign, it is, it is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and even last season, they didn't have that sparkle really did they they didn't know um and, and i guess the biggest concern for me about that is that they're, they've not really had the toughest schedule to have chelsea you know that you look at the uh pre-season we at infogol we looked at a strength of schedule over the opening six matches and chelsea actually had the fifth easiest start to the campaign of any team in the premier league um based on the average forecast position of, of their opponent so that that kind of level of performance against that kind of opposition is a is a massive red flag um, because it's only going to get tougher. You know they've still got to play Liverpool's, your cities, they've still got to play Arsenal, they've got to play United, etc. And even this game is tough is a tough game. And um, yeah, I, I'm with the lads. I'm more than happy to to oppose Chelsea in some way. And and you know there's various different ways that have been put up there. The draw, both teams to score, but given the attacking issues that they've had um, and you know. West Ham have tightened things up defensively. They, they looked awful um, for, across the first three games, really out of sorts, shipped two, over two expected goals against per game. But the last couple of games against Villa, holding Spurs to 1.3 XG um, is a really good result and a really decent defensive display. I'm more than happy to take under two and a half goals at quite a big price. You're looking around 2.25 on the exchange. Uh, I think that West Ham, you know, it's... It's probably too early to say that they've got the mojo back, but they look a much more complete and more um, tight-knit team than they did in the early parts of the season, just over the couple of games. Um, the, the Spurs game in particular was a was a big one for me because it's all right doing that against Villa. We spoke about Villa earlier in the pod. They've had really, real massive issues in attack. So limiting them to a few chances is, is not really a, a massive feat. But doing it to, to a Tottenham team who I think we all think will be in the top four at the end of the season and, and have no issues creating chances, they've got some fantastic attacking players, um, is, is, a, is a huge positive. And, you know, if you're worried about West Ham scoring a couple against Chelsea, which, you know, it, it could happen, they themselves have got issues in attack, you know. Chelsea at 1.4 non-penalty expected goals through five matches. West Ham at 1.06. So you've got two teams that are really struggling to find a rhythm in attack and create chances at a consistent rate. Um, and, you know, I think Chelsea's defence will improve with Fafana coming in. I think he's a great, fantastic player. Um, Rhys James coming back will obviously help as well. And obviously West Ham, they appear to be tightening up as well after a sluggish start. So I just thought the unders was a, was a big price um, and, and an, another way to oppose Chelsea. Well, this football season, you can get a helping hand with Betfair's popular Bet Builder. Easily add our most popular or fan favourite football selections to your bet slip in just one tap. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus. See gambleaware.org. Time to take a sunlit stroll around the continent as families crowd the airports to get back in time for the school year. Emmett, you want to take us to my beloved Bundesliga? 
Yeah, I think I think you've you've touched on kind of how poor a team Bochum are this season. Yeah. Bochum are playing Werder Bremen at home this year. This is really a bet against Bochum rather than for Werder Bremen. Bochum had the worst XG conceded, uh, XG conceded and goals conceded in the Bundesliga this season, and that's not just because they played played Bayern Munich. Freiburg actually racked up over five expected goals against yeah. Bochum last week, but only only find the net once. On the other hand, Werder Bremen look a pretty solid kind of mid-table team. They've already beaten Dortmund away from home this season, and they've scored two goals in each of their four Bundesliga matches. I'd expect that streak to continue against Bochum. I think 13, 13 to ten on on uh, Werder to win and kind of and, and uh, keep 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 Bochum on on the bottom of the table. Looks it looks a pretty fair bet to me. Yeah, it's interesting with Bochum because their coach Thomas Rice, who's a Bochum guy through and through, he was linked with a move to Schalke in the summer. There is talk, not confirmed, but there is talk that Schalke were interested in hiring him and Borkman basically put the kibosh on that. And he still hasn't agreed a new deal with Borkman and the current one ends at the end of the season and they've put those talks on hold until at least the World Cup. So that's a massive red flag for me. They actually played okay against Freiburg last Friday, made some chances themselves, but Manuel Riemann, the goalkeeper, had to make a ton of saves as well. So I think you're right. I think... Borkum were in a bit of a mess at the moment. And I think Werder Bremen have every chance of scoring a couple of goals in that one. Now it's time for the Alan Partridge-esque feature, Mark My Words, where I effectively thought of a title and built a feature around it. Mark O'Hare gives us a European nap every week. This time, Mark, we're heading to the goal-laden lands of Serie Yeah, um, Serie has not been that exciting so far this season. It's actually quite underwhelmed, but... Saturday looks like a, a real opportunity sort of to to uh, ignite the season. We've got three incredible matches to, to look forward to. Uh, starts with Fiorentina against Juventus, always a big grudge match uh, in Florence. Then you've got the Milan derby, uh, obviously don't need too much introduction there. And then you've got Lazio against Napoli to round things off in the capital. So three really attractive games. I'm going to focus on the latter um, because I'm expecting goals, I'm expecting entertainment, drama, probably some controversy and and hopefully some violence as well. But um, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, last season's matches ended 4-0 and 2-1 in Napoli's favour, and they've been well backed by the bookies to, to do a job on Lazio again. Uh, I actually feared for them at the start of the season, but they've done some really good business in terms of kind of patching up a squad that lost bulk, uh, the bulk of its big names and, and mainstays, really. Um, have recruited really well, particularly in forward areas. And for the large part, they've been really exciting so far this season. I think they've got the firepower to match any team in Serie A this season. Uh, smashed up Monza and Verona. Uh, involved in a really interesting 0-0 with Fiorentina last week, which was much better than the, the scoreline suggested. Then dropped points at home to Lecce midweek. Uh, created loads of opportunities, weren't able to force a winner. But they were quite open defensively too. Gave up a number of chances to a newly promoted team at home, which is a little bit concerning. Then you got Lazio, who just tend to do their best work in Rome. Um, beat uh, Bologna more convincingly than a 2-1 suggests uh, towards the start of the season. Then beat Inter last Friday night in a real humdinger. Started that game slowly with second best for the first half hour, but then grew into the game and, and dominated really for the last hour. And even had Luis Alberto coming off the bench to, to make an impact after re- recovering from injury too. So their forward line is, is sparkling at the minute. And um, if you look at Lazio's record at home under Sarri, they scored in 19 of 21 home league games, beat DS in 14, overs in 16. Over three and a half has landed in nine of those matches. And five of their six home matches against top six teams have produced three or more goals. 
Uh, Napoli themselves have scored 19 of 21 away under Spalletti, manages two clean sheets away at top nine teams as well. So just combine that all, uh, your sense of how the game might play out. It should be end-to-end, quite entertaining, similar to what we saw with Lazio and Inter. I think both teams are scoring over two and a half goals at 1.9 is, is a nice angle to take. And it is, of course, the Sarri derby. So all very exciting. Looking forward to that one very much. Barcelona have produced financial gymnastics that Donald Trump would have been proud of to rebuild their squad. And they visit struggling Sevilla this Saturday. Emmett, this looks like a really tough season for Sevilla. Uh, At this stage, we don't know if they've made some kind of late bargain buys. They've managed to nip in before the deadline, but it won't change the fact they've lost Lucas Acampos, who's gone to Ajax. Diego Carlos left to join Villa, but of course he's now injured. And Jules Koundé has just gone to Barcelona in the last few weeks. So it's all looking a bit ropey, isn't it, really, for Sevilla at the moment? Absolutely. I think it's kind of a, a typical Sevilla season in the sense that they, they sold their two best centre-halves, as you mentioned, in Carlos and Colday for £70 million, and then try to sign their replacements for £25 million. And that's the kind of... It's the Munchy way. It's, it's the Munchy magic trick, but it's kind of one of these things where just last season... Um, Sevilla, like Sevilla relied so heavily in their defence, just to give you an indication of that. No team conceded. Uh, they had the best defensive record in, in La Liga last season, but they scored the least goals of any team in the in the top six. So they were like the it was it was their it was their in terms of reaching the top four last season, it, it, it was it was really built in that defense. And so to, to taking that away, their defense isn't nearly as solid, and they're still having kind of similar issues in front of goal. So it, 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 this looks like Sevilla team that they might do damage in the Europa League later in the season, but but, but for now I think we'll, we'll we'll really struggle to to finish top four and may even finish outside the top six this season. But and then on the other hand, I think Barcelona are going to dominate the league this season. I think I think I expect them to get probably over I think over ninety points is. Uh, is realistic. This is just uh, we, we, we talked about the kind of the, the the money that's being spent by the Premier League. Barcelona are spending it, it, it's kind of Premier League money in a in, in, in a in a La Liga world that is that that that, that, that that's it's kind of far far. far, far, far teams have far less money so there's just a, there's a massive gap in quality and resources and they've made the decision Emmett to spend their way out of trouble haven't they that's the issue there are billions yeah, euros in debt or were obviously they've made a, a few changes to that and they've sold off a lot of the family silver but they've decided to spend their way out it's interesting you say that do you believe then that they can finish above Real Madrid this season absolutely I think they're currently anything any 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 odds if you can get Barcelona odds against for the league I think that's definitely a bet just I'll just briefly just with the players that they brought in they have a far younger core I think than Real Madrid whereas I think Real Madrid are still obviously brought in they have Camavinga and uh, Chumani in midfield but it's still they're still re- are reliant on older players you're still reliant on on, on, on Benzema performing as, as he did last season Barcelona have a far deeper squad and I think her will have a, will have a bit more hunger coming from a place where they, where they haven't they haven't won in previous years I, I, I think I think this I think Barcelona well, if they can if they can get through through a top Champions League group, I expect them to go deep in the Champions League. And they're 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 an outstanding outstanding and very deep squad. And specifically for for for, for this Sevilla game, we've already seen like Barcelona beat quite a good Real Sociedad team four one away from home and dominate on the expected goals. 
I wouldn't be surprised if if we see something something similar here. I think like you can get around around one point eight eight in the exchange, four to five in the sports book of Barcelona. I think that's definitely worth including in any any accumulators this weekend. I think we'll see far shorter prices on uh, on Barcelona away from home against kind of top six top six just Spanish opposition as the season goes on. Now it's time for the world-famous podcast treble, a betting feature so revered that Leonardo DiCaprio says he's been listening to it for years. And as we know, he doesn't tend to get too attached for too long. Uh, Just in case there are lawyers listening, he didn't say that. He definitely didn't say that. How this works is the three guys uh, come up with uh, a selection for the weekend's action and our delightful traders like Emmett to wrap that up in a boosted treble for you. We've done okay with these. Got a couple out of the last three that have landed. Um, Mark, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, easy enough. I'll take both teams to score in Brentford versus Leeds for all the reasons outlined previously. And Emmett was giggling away. Did you get that DiCaprio joke, Mark? Did you understand what that was about? Yes, yeah. Oh, you did. Okay, that, well, yeah. that's that's heartening to know. Uh, Emmett, <laughs> I'll go with you next. Yeah, I think probably, I think definitely something Man City related. I think it's probably not ideal to have a, have a handicap in the in the treble. So I'll go Man City half time, full time for the against Aston Villa. And Jake, take us home. I'll take both teams to score in Tottenham v Fulham. Uh, Fulham, they've scored in all bar one of their Premier League games so far. Actually, missed a penalty in that game against Wolves. They're creating a lot of decent chances actually um, which is not a surprise when you play to the strengths of your best player is it um, but yeah 1.57 expected goals for per game is what they're averaging currently Spurs not looked as strong defensively uh, missing a couple of key players back there obviously Romero is, is not playing Sanchez is in there instead um, and yeah I think that, I think Fulham could could maybe hit one maybe two against this Tottenham team well, that was surprisingly bereft of psychodrama there, Jake. Very good. Very solid. Uh, that, Yeah, uh, that's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Lots of other excellent podcasts in the Betfair network. We've got Cricket Only Better, Racing Only Better, of course, NFL season about to get underway properly. So NFL Only Better as well. Check us out on social at Betfair or at Betfair Racing. From Jake, from Mark, from Emmett and from me. It's goodbye for now.